When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. I'm glad you're here. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. As Jesus was walking along, a man called Matthew was sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. As he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. While he was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader in the synagogue came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus got up and followed him with his disciples. Then suddenly a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, for she said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her and said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Instantly the woman was made well. When Jesus came to the leader's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. And the girl got up. And the report of this spread throughout that district. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. It's kind of silly to me that Matthew is writing about Matthew himself in the third person. The Gospel of Matthew never says that Matthew wrote Matthew. That is a church tradition, pretty early established by Eusebius, who cites several sources on this issue, saying that Matthew wrote Matthew's Gospel in Aramaic or Hebrew, and then it was translated into Greek. There is no copy of the Aramaic version out there. Um, so that does call into question Eusebius's source uh, a little bit and his attribution of Matthew to writing Matthew's gospel. But it's plausible for sure that Matthew has put himself in the story. He knows it well. Um, but here he is, the tax collector, the publican, an old King James word, for tax collector. Tax collectors were contractors, Jewish people who had bought a contract with the Roman government, really the army, and they were then required to collect the amount of taxes that was owed, which would have meant going into people's farms and houses and assessing their wealth. The tax collector is really a tax assessor. And then with force of law, being able to determine what a fair tax would be for them. All the taxes were unfair in that they were not going to 
anything local, all that money was going to Rome. That was how Rome financed their constant military efforts, their constant huge standing army, and all the other luxuries and excesses of Rome. They certainly built the buildings. Some of the buildings that are standing there today were built with this kind of taxation. And as long as the bread and circuses flowed in Rome, the people in Rome were happy and kept the government in place. For Romans, it was a very advantageous strategy. But for people in Judea, um, here where Matthew is, it is not easy. It is a burden. And so these tax collectors became very wealthy, but also very segregated from the rest of society. And the only kind of people you can hang around with when you are part of this group of hated people in a community is the sinners. Tax collectors and sinners were coming over for dinner. This, this is Matthew's crowd. We often see um, Matthew being portrayed as sort of the, the uh, accountant disciple, um, that he is sort of the bean counter, and all the others are um, sort of wild guys from the fishing village, whereas Matthew is the one with all the sinners and all the revelry. He is there at this dinner for sinners. It doesn't say, actually, that they're having a wild time. It doesn't say that they're any more rowdy than anybody else, although that is maybe implied by the fact that they're sinners. Who are these sinners? Um, certainly sex workers are there. They are listed amongst the sinners in the Gospels. Um, other collaborators with Rome. This is, for many Jewish people, especially Jesus's main community, they are considered to be grave sinners and that they are in violation of the covenant of God by collaborating with the Roman Empire, which is an idolatrous organization. The early clashes with Pilate and the uh, people in Jerusalem related to Pilate's carrying the Roman military standards into the temple precincts into Jerusalem. And this caused such an uproar among the Pharisees and other Jewish people in Jerusalem that Pilate eventually backed down. But this idea that Rome is, is an idolatrous organization and all their symbols are idolatrous and in violation of the covenant of making a graven image and worshiping it, following it, bowing down to it is utterly foreign to and, and harmful to the, the covenant community. And so Matthew's collaboration with this harmful entity of Rome um, marks him as a sinner, but there would have been other people in similar situations to him profiting off the occupation. Certainly the sex workers, that was their main uh, audience, would have been um, Roman soldiers that were there. As Roman soldiers were not allowed to marry. Um, so this large group of single men um, there far from home um, would have been that part of that community as well. These sinners are people that Jesus's main dialogue partners, the Pharisees, do not uh, ever mingle with. They are not associated with them. Uh, when I was in Iraq, there was strict rules about who you could eat with, which is kind of funny now looking back on it. We were not allowed to eat with contractors, especially if you were in a job that uh, assigned contractors. You couldn't eat lunch or anything with the 
you know, American guy who worked for one of the contract organizations. Um, as a chaplain, I felt like I could sort of break that rule if I needed to. But um, for army personnel, that was kind of the rule because we were not supposed to be seen as playing favorites or something like that to get a contract with our friends, someone we knew socially. It was a way to try to fight some of the corruption in the contracting world. But um, that is the nature of contracting is there is corruption, there is um, collusion, there is bribes and favors and kickbacks and all those things, slush funds and whatever going on to keep those contracts flowing. So they are inherently corrupt, um, probably as corrupt as the people that are opposing Jesus in many ways. But they are part of the covenant community, and these tax collectors and sinners are outside of it. The question the Pharisees have to Jesus' disciples are, why does the teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They are triangulating Jesus, going to his disciples instead of him. Jesus hears about it, you know, because Jesus always hears about it. When you try to triangulate, um, when you try to, when we, (laughs) you, when we try to triangulate to get at somebody, They always hear about it. And if we're trying to triangulate with Jesus, triangulization, strangulization, triangulation is when you don't go to the person directly, but you go to someone that knows them and try to get them to go to the person forming a triangle. Um, Jesus always finds out about it. When people talk about you behind your back, Jesus knows about it. He knows about it in this story because ultimately we're talking about him. Jesus makes it very clear that people that are well don't need a physician. You only go to the doctor when you're sick. Jesus is here for the sick people. He's not here for the righteous. And what he means by righteous is people that uh, don't really believe they have any needs or, or any spiritual needs. And we can fall into that group too as Christians many times. We do not really have any spiritual needs. What do we need? Um, Suddenly, this leader of the synagogue comes in, and there's some text omitted from this reading. It's shortened a little bit. His daughter dies. If you lay your hand on her, she will live. What faith we can see there. He gets there. On the way, he gets touched by a woman who has hemorrhages for 12 years. 12 years. You imagine what she's been through. 12 years of suffering. She has been suffering. She touches the fringe of his cloak. And Jesus, and she's made well. Instantly the woman's made well. There's a longer version of this story in Luke. But this very short version shows the power of the fringe of his cloak. Jesus' clothes are part of him and his power. Our clothes are very significant. Very significant. God doesn't care what you wear. You know, I'm not saying anything like that. But our clothes are very, part, very much a part of us as people. And we disrespect somebody's clothes, we're really disrespecting them. And we, especially with this talk about what boys and girls are allowed to wear, fearing some kind of L- trans panic and all the worries and fears about what children are wearing and grown-ups are wearing. Um, this is always the problem of human culture, what we wear. And Jesus is very clear that our clothes are meant to be a power for healing. Are your clothes healing to other people? Are mine? I'm not sure what this means. But I know it was true for Jesus, his cloak. 
the hem of his garment. The, the, the leader of the synagogue is a person of privilege. He says, touch my daughter and she'll get better. But this woman can't even get close to Jesus. She doesn't say, touch me, Jesus, lay your hand on my head. She says, I'm going to sneak up behind and grab the hem of his garment. Sometimes in church, that's all we're doing. Dragging ourselves in, grabbing the hem of his garment and finding healing. He gets to the house. The mourners are doing their professional mourning. They're playing loud music so people can cry. It sounds like a commotion. And Jesus says, go away. The girl is not dead, but sleeping. Everyone laughs at him. This is the the comedy of Jesus's life, that he's saying what God is saying to him, and it's a big joke for everybody. Soren Kierkegaard told a story about a play, a play that was about to start, and backstage a fire had broken out in the wooden theater, and the smoke was start. The smoke had not really billowed, but the fire had grown out of control. And so a clown from the play rushed on stage from behind the curtain and said, a fire is broken out backstage. Everyone flee right at once. Exit the building. Flee at once. Exit the building. There's a fire backstage. We can't control it. And everybody thought it was a great performance. And so the clown got louder and more demonstrative and more theatrical. Please leave. There's a fire backstage. Get out. Get out. Get out. And the, the more animated the clown became, the more the crowd loved it. And they start applauding louder and louder and louder. And so, he says, the world will end with great applause. Jesus is laughed at. But Jesus knows what is really happening in this girl's life. But she is not dead but sleeping. And Jesus knows what is happening in your life. You are not dead. You're sleeping. And you're going to wake up. And nobody believes it. They think you're dead. They think it's over. But it's not. You're going to wake up. You're going to have a good life. It's going to bless the world. And this girl woke up. She held Jesus' hand. And that's all we know about her. That's all we know. We can only imagine the great things she went on to do from that reawakening, from that handholding of Jesus. That is all we are here to do, to grasp the hem of his garment, to hold his hand, to wake up. Amen. O God, from whom all good proceeds, grant that by your inspiration we may think those things that are right, and by your merciful guidance, guiding may do them. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.